Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn in them uh, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. But before we get all the way to our scripture, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a series called The Heart Matters. And in this series, we have been talking about the seriousness of sin and by taking a look at what are known as the seven deadly sins. And so far, we've looked at sloth and envy and pride, gluttony. Uh, and anger, and, and these are called deadly sins for a reason. They can bring brokenness to our lives. They can fracture our relationship with God. They can fracture our relationships with one another. And so it has been incredible to hear from you over these weeks the way that God has spoken to you and has spoken life to you in a series that is about sin. That even in conversations about sin, God has shown his mercy and his grace to us. We've said again and again, we know that sin is serious, but it is not superior to Jesus and his forgiveness and the redeeming work that he does in our lives. And so this morning we get to keep going and we get to talk about greed this morning. And so if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read these words from Jesus from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is the word of God for the people of God, and our response is always, thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. I know many of you are really excited because we have just jumped into what is the March Madness Tournament. And so some of you have filled out those crazy brackets. Many of those have been ruined already by uh, many teams, but um, Ohio State did their part to make that happen. Um, I just want to know this morning, why can't Ohio State just have a moment of crumbling when they're playing football? That's what I want to know <laughs> this morning. But Many of you are excited about that. You're excited about basketball. But I, for one, am more excited that in two weeks we are going to get the opening day of baseball season in Major League Baseball. Okay. I did not realize that maybe there were as many fans here of baseball as it sounds like there are this morning. So that's exciting. When we lived in St. Louis, um, I became a Cardinals fan. And that may not be 
as exciting to some of you. Okay, I see a couple of, of excited people, but not as many. But I know that that makes some of you upset because there's a good contingency of Cubs fans in our congregation. I'm aware of that. But also the history of the Tigers and, and the Cardinals back to 2006 and those kinds of things. So um, I will tell you I had no intention of ever becoming a Cardinals fan or ever even caring about baseball. I always thought that baseball was kind of boring and moved a little bit too slowly. I'd always been a football fan. So uh, baseball is a big deal in St. Louis. It's a baseball culture. It's a baseball town. And so it's really hard to live there and not care about baseball. And so I was slowly won over to the St. Louis Cardinals. But uh, it also helped that the Cardinals have a program called the Cardinals Clergy Pass. And every spring... They would send me a card in the mail that allowed me to attend any Cardinal game I wanted all season long for free. So it was a pretty slick deal. It was a lot of fun. I could jump on the metro train, be downtown in 15 minutes, and enjoy some free baseball. Um, I think one summer before we had kids, uh, we attended 13 baseball games that summer. So a lot of fun. There was one catch, though, and it was kind of a big one. Um, The seats were often standing room only. Okay, so you had to be a little bit creative. So especially if they were playing well at a good record, those seats were going to be standing room only. As soon as you got to the stadium, it kind of came this game. You would go in and you would go up to the 400 levels, the nosebleeds, because you knew that you could sit there. There were going to be openings there. But then if you're like me, you become a little bit greedy and you start to look. You start to peer down into the 300s and see some open seats, and you wait an inning, make sure nobody's going to show up in those seats, and then you move down into those seats, and then if you're me, you're greedy again, and you start looking down into the lower bowl, and behind the dugouts, and the lower outfield, and my wife's shaking her head because she's like, can't we just stay in one seat? <laughs> this was always our thing, but it was fun, It was, but it did become this game that there was always a better seat available. There was always somewhere I could move to get a better vantage point, and so greed is kind of like that. No matter where we are, no matter how much we have, it catches us looking for more. We're never satisfied with where we are. We're always looking to move up and to have more and to get other people. And so this morning in the passage that we read from Luke, Jesus is addressing our natural tendency towards greed as humans. He's talking about money and wealth and our attitude towards these things and and what our attitude should be. This isn't the only place in Scripture where Jesus talks about these things either. He spends a lot of time talking about money. Sixteen of Jesus' 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of ten verses deals directly with the subject of money. And so Jesus discusses finances and stewardship all the time. And so so maybe Jesus is just obsessed with money. This is one conclusion that we could take from this. But I think that there's a better chance that Jesus knows that we are. That we tend to be obsessed with money and security and things. And he wants us to take greed seriously. He wants us to take the dangers of greed seriously. He wants us to find freedom in knowing that real life is not something that comes from an abundance of possessions. And so this morning, there are a few things that we need to understand about greed. The first problem with greed is greed causes us to always grab for more. It causes us to always grab for more. In verse 15 of our passage, Jesus says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds 
of greed. Okay, so the Greek word. You guys got to get your Greek word in this morning, okay? I know Pastor Jeff's not here, but I'm going to do my best to give you your Greek word. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for, for greed is pleonexia, okay? And pleonexia, I know you want to say that, so let's back up here, okay? Pleonexia, one, two, three, pleonexia. All right, very good. One more time for good measure. One, two, three, pleonexia. Very good. Pleonexia simply means the desire for more. And if we want to be literal this morning, it would be numerically more I must have. Okay? So I thought Yoda would be proud of us this morning with numerically more I must have. But Jesus warns us, be on your guard against the desire for more. Grabbing for more and having more, but never actually satisfying us. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Meaningless. If you were with us last spring, you, you may remember that we did a series in Ecclesiastes. And throughout Ecclesiastes, the author uses this word meaningless. Hevel, if you remember from our other series, it's this idea that something is like smoke or like vapor. You think you can grab a hold of it by reaching out, but, but you can't. It always escapes you. It's here and it's gone. And so in our meaningless pursuit, we, we just think that we've taken hold of it, but the next thing we know, it's just slipped through our fingers and we're left with nothing. And so that's what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is true about those who love money and wealth. Greed always leaves us grabbing for more, but never having enough. The second problem with greed is that greed causes us to live with clenched fists. Okay? Now, in this case, our fists are clenched not because we want to hit someone. That's anger, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But in this case, greed causes us to live with a clenched fist because we refuse to let go of the things that we have. We refuse to share what we have with others. And we do this most often when we're afraid we are going to run out of something, when we're not going to have enough. And so our fear of not having enough causes us to not only grab for more things, it causes us to clench our fists and hold tightly and to hoard the things that we do have. It was about this time last year in March uh, that we were starting to freak out a little bit because we had no idea what was coming. No one prepared us for a pandemic, so we didn't know what to do. And I remember going to Meyer last year uh, around this time. And of course, uh, the bread aisle is completely empty and some other essential things are gone. But then, of course, the toilet paper is also completely barren. Got to that aisle, there's none left. Now, there was one guy who somehow had gotten there in time and he had collected all the remaining Charmin. And there was enough toilet paper in his cart that he could barely see over the top of his cart. And people are kind of making passive comments to him as he's going through the store. And some people even asking, like, hey, man, can I, like, have one thing of the toilet paper that you have, like, whatever. And he's ignoring everyone, and he is making his way directly to the front of the store to check out. It's kind of this weird thing we look back on and what, what we did and in the moment of what we viewed as getting the essentials. But we do this, right? When we fear that we may not have enough of something, we live with those clenched fists and we hoard for ourselves what we are meant to share with other people. In verse 21 of our passage, Jesus warns us against storing up for ourselves. 
This is your second Greek word of the morning. So I want to give it to you here. The word that Jesus uses here for store up is theseridzo. All right, I'm going to have you say that too. One, two, three, theseridzo. And it means just that, to store up, lay aside, or accumulate, okay? But what's really interesting is that this is the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, do not store up, do not theseridzo for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but theseridzo for yourselves treasures in heaven. So Jesus is very, very clear that the kingdom of heaven is a place where people are supposed to live with open hands. We are to live and give freely to others. And so greed, it does, it causes us to live with that clenched fist. Finally, the last problem with greed is that greed causes us to live in competition with our neighbor. Now, we talked about sports this morning. I love competition. Competition is not a bad thing. But when Jesus' clear and repeated commands tell us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, when Jesus goes out of his way to say that the greatest among you will be your servant, he's pretty clear that the priority of the Christian is to elevate the needs of others above even our own. And so it becomes very difficult for us to love people with that kind of sacrificial love if greed is allowed to call the shots. It's really hard to love our neighbors if we're worried about always being one rung higher than them on the ladder. If we allow ourselves to value our possessions more than people, it fractures our relationships. In fact, a side effect of greed is that greedy people can often also be lonely people. It's why in the New Testament, tax collectors like Matthew probably didn't have a lot of friends. It's why people were so surprised that Jesus would go to the home of someone like Zacchaeus. Greed causes us to live in competition with our neighbors. And it drives a wedge between us and the people that God has called us to love. And so this morning, Jesus knows exactly how ugly this sin can be, and he knows they can rob us of the real life that he wants for us and the kingdom that he's called us to be a part of as we continue to grab for more and hoard for ourselves. And so he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And to help us see this and to help us understand who we're supposed to be instead, Jesus goes on and he shares this short parable with us. And and in this parable, there's a man who's been incredibly, incredibly successful. In fact, he's in such good shape that he doesn't know what to do with all of his stuff. And so he decides, I need to build more barns. I need to tear down my old small barns. I need to build new bigger barns to hoard all that I have for myself. He's been successful, so he's expanding It's what we do. This is what the world expects us to do when we find success. But it's interesting that throughout the parable, Jesus uses the words abundant, surplus, having plenty to describe the situation that the man finds himself in. And so he's making all of these provisions, right? He's going to work to figure out how to keep for himself. Why? I thought... This was really convicting. In verse 19, 
It says, so that he can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus is saying, if you were looking for real life, life that satisfies not only your needs, but multiplies out to others and takes care of the needs of others, you're not going to find it here. You're not going to find it in an abundance of things and possessions and security. And if, if we turn our Bibles back all the way to Leviticus this morning, I know you're going to be blessed by going all the way back to Leviticus, we're going to find that God never intended people to, his people to be people who were always grabbing for themselves and hoarding what they had for themselves. In Leviticus 19, we're introduced to the idea of gleaning. It says this, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And so this morning, even though the methods of harvesting would have been so much more efficient today than they were then, the people of Israel were instructed to leave the margins and the corners of their fields unharvested. On top of that, they were only supposed to harvest once. And so when you went to harvest, if your fruit wasn't ripe, you were to leave it. And as it ripened, it would be available for others later. Finally, if they dropped fruit or grain or whatever, you were to leave that behind so that it could be gathered and found by foreigners and the poor living among them. Now, something I read this week said that it was not uncommon in the ancient Near East for there to be laws of compassion that benefited the poor. This this happened. This is something uh, that was pretty common. However, it was unique to the people of God to intentionally care for the foreigner and for the outsider. And so this morning, I'm convinced that as followers of Jesus, this is still who we are called to be. We are to guard against all kinds of greed and the always grabbing for more and the the hoarding for ourselves and the living with the clenched fist. We are to be people who leave the margins of our lives and our finances and our time for other people. So that what we have doesn't bring us into competition with others, with our neighbors. But instead what we have gives us an opportunity to model the generosity of our God who is so freely given to us. But I think we know pretty well who we do. We live in a world that is always grabbing for more, that is hoarding for itself. And so so what do we do? How do we live differently as citizens of a different kind of kingdom? Throughout the series, we've tried to give you some practical things that you can do Uh, to try if we feel like that we are being held by these things. And so this morning, the first thing that we can do uh, to deal with our greed is to give generously. In some ways, I know, I think this feels kind of obvious. Uh, it, It really does. If we struggle with grabbing for more and always trying to hold for ourselves, the greatest remedy to do that is to give some of what we have away. There's a reason that we include our tithes and our offerings in our worship every Sunday morning. We believe it is an act of our worship to do that. And every every Sunday, Pastor Jeff reminds us that our giving is our way of declaring that we trust God more than we trust our bank account. If we think about that, that is an incredibly 
radical way to live. That's an incredibly radical thing to say. And so we do. We believe that our giving is an act of worship. Some other ways that we can give generously. We can donate to our food pantry. We can give to Alabaster. We can give to the Easter offering that we talked about this morning. We can give to world missions and say, God, you can do more with my money than I can. I promise you, this is not just a commercial to give to cross community, right? So there are plenty of other places that you can give generously to. But I know some of us may not struggle with, with greed as it, uh, as it pertains to money necessarily. But I would think that if we're being honest, there are times that we are tempted to be greedy with our time as well. And so maybe God would, would encourage you to give freely of your time to serve in a local food bank, to, to serve in local missions, maybe to go and to do something even further away and give your time to be a blessing to other people. No matter what that looks like for you, when we give generously, it gives us freedom from the greed that causes us to live with that clenched fist. The second thing we can do to deal with our greed is we can commit to being content. We live in a world that is constantly telling us what we want and what we need. We're always being introduced to uh, the latest thing. We're being introduced to maybe the latest version of the things that we already have. And advertisers know that their goal is to convince us that we want what they have. And if they're really good at their job, they convince us that we not only want it, but that we need what they have. And it's interesting, my son Owen turns five this week, and advertising is very effective on him already, okay? And you would expect this when it comes to toys and those kinds of things, but it's actually the cell phone commercials that have his interest. So every time we're out, out and about, we're driving around, and he sees a Verizon store or he sees a T-Mobile store, he asks if we can stop and if we can get some 5G, Okay? <laughs> One day he said, it's the only thing that's going to make me happy. I said, well, we're going to have some other parenting conversations after this. But clearly he has no idea what 5G is. But he has been thoroughly convinced by the quick buffering commercials before his favorite shows that he needs 5G. So First Timothy chapter 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And so we can remedy the greed in our lives by learning to know when enough is enough and by being content with what we have. Finally, to remedy the greed in our life, we can surrender our stuff. I was reading Dallas Willard this week, and he was talking about how some spiritual circles have taken simplicity too far. And poverty has somehow become spiritual. And Willard points out that Christians are supposed to be stewards. And so stewardship requires, naturally, that you have things, that you have resources, and that you have possessions. And so I think it's important to say this morning that we are not called to have nothing. It's okay that we have things. But we are called to surrender our stuff. And remember that we are primarily stewards, not owners of what we have. When we first got married, Morgan and I had a 1998 Oldsmobile Intrigue, okay? For those of you who remember Oldsmobiles. But at one time, I'm sure that car was intriguing. I get one dad joke on a Sunday morning, I think. Thank you for that pity laugh. Um, so, 
But we had this 1998 Oldsmobile Intrigue, and so it was Morgan's car, but it kind of became my car as we got married, and so it kind of became my ministry vehicle. And so it was really nice to have a car that was just kind of, it was, it was a great car, but it was kind of old and kind of rough, so I could, as a youth pastor, just kids in that car, not care if they had mud stuck on the bottom of their shoes, not care if they spilled a little bit of their 7-Eleven Slurpee and those kinds of things. I remember we took one trip to Six Flags, and on the way home, we got some Panda Express. You know, I love Panda Express, but we live, we were on our way home, we had about a 45-minute drive, we must have hit a bump or something, and the kid had a carton full of fried rice, and that fried rice went everywhere in the backseat of that car. And so in that moment, it was really nice to be able to say, God, this is not my car, this is your car, because there's fried rice all over the place. But I will say, when I sold that car for a whole $600, and I started driving a little bit nicer, newer car, it was a little bit harder to say, God, this is your car, use it for ministry and for the good of your kingdom. But there is a lot of freedom for us in surrendering our stuff, in recognizing that all that we have, is a gift from God that he has given to us to be generous with, to share with others, and to bless others. So God has called us to surrender our vehicles, our homes, our resources, our talents, and to use those things to build his kingdom and not build our own. As we close this morning, I want to leave you with some words from 1 Timothy. And I don't have these on the screen for you this morning. I just want you to listen to these and to hear these. I think they're so good for us and a great reminder for us. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to, be, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would take Jesus at his word and believe him when he says that there is no life and an abundance of possessions, that we would exchange our always grabbing for more and our living with clenched fists, For Jesus' words that tell us that there is no value in those things. And for a trust in the generosity of our God who is freely really take hold of his life that is truly life. And is not only life to us, but if we let it and we live with open hands, multiplies out and is a blessing to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you have so richly blessed us. And so this morning I ask that you would help us to guard our hearts against all kinds of greed and and the endless desire for more. Help us to find our security in you. I pray that you would move us towards generosity. That you would help us to unclench our fists and experience the freedom of knowing that all that we have is yours. Help us to see the margins of our life as a way that we can turn and bless others because you have so generously provided for us. 
God, we thank you for the freedom that we can find in knowing that the real life that we seek is not in an abundance of possessions, but it is in trusting you and knowing you, Father. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are our generous God. It's your name I pray. Amen. Let me send you with this blessing as you go this morning. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably and abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us in the church, be glory forever and ever for all generations. Amen. Go in his peace. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us online. If you're here in the building, make sure you say happy birthday to Deidre. But we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.